Looking for a fun way to win up to 25 times your money this football season? Test your skills on Prize Picks, the most exciting way to play daily fantasy sports. Just select two or more players, pick more or less on their projection for a wide variety of statistics, and place your entry. It's as easy as that. If you have the skills, you can turn $10 into $250 with just a few taps. Easy gameplay, quick withdrawals, and an enormous selection of players and stat options are what make Prize Picks the number one daily fantasy sports app. Ready to test your skills? Join the Prize Picks community of more than 7 million football fans who have already signed up. Right now, Prize Picks will match your first deposit up to $100. Just visit prizepicks.com/get100 and use code GET100. That's code GET100 at prizepicks.com slash get100 for a first deposit matchup to $100. Prize Picks, daily fantasy sports made easy. Drivers, start your engines! What's going on, FA Nation? Welcome back to the Fantasy Alarm NASCAR DFS Podcast. I am Dan Malin. I am joined by the FSWA three-time NASCAR Writer of the Year, Matt Sells. We are talking the Coca-Cola 600. Uh, it's, uh, we do have some weather concerns this weekend in Charlotte. Uh, it's, it's, it's basically a monsoon right now. Uh, but uh, Matt Sells, uh, how's it going? How excited are you for one of the greatest weekends uh, in motorsports? I am excited. Well, I'm still excited. I'm a little less excited now that there's the threat of, you know, moving the the Coke 600 potentially to Monday um, as we're recording, which is about, oh, I don't know, quarter after, you know, quarter to five East Coast time Saturday. It still stands as a Sunday evening race. Uh, Forecast does not look very good. They've canceled cup qualifying and practice. They already moved the Xfinity race to Monday at noon Eastern. Um, so we'll see. I would, I really hope it stays as a triple header because there's no better day than camping out for Monaco at breakfast, Indy 500 at lunch, and then have enough time to grill some stuff up and then go enjoy the Coke 600 at Charlotte. Yeah, it's a, it's usually, usually one of the best days for racing. It's over 1200 miles of action and it just goes all day long. Um, Matt does have a betting piece available uh, for the Indy 500 on fantasyalarm.com. It's right on the homepage, so check that out. Um, But let's just talk uh, Charlotte Motor Speedway real quick. You know, this is, you know, a mile and a half intermediate. You know, we were talking before the podcast that this can be comparable to tracks like Vegas and Kansas, although those two mirror each other a little bit better. But we also said, you know, you can pull from texas motor speedway as much as those races suck uh, as well as darlington homestead are there are there any other tracks that we can look at or should we just maybe look at how drivers have driven in this package and with this tire combination yeah i would say mainly we're focusing on this package and tire combination uh by now we've got about a year and a half's worth of data on intermediates so even though they haven't run all that many tracks this year that comp directly to charlotte i mean they ran kansas and and vegas right but um, they ran this package at Dover. That's not really a very good comp. Darlington, in my mind, doesn't necessarily comp that well because there's a lot of tire wear at Darlington, and we don't really see that at Charlotte. Um, I would say Michigan, you can toss that in okay. as well. 
Um, even though it's a two mile, it's a pretty high speed, low tire wear <clears throat> two mile compared to uh, Auto Club. Um, so yeah, let's get you know I'm looking a lot at what they've done consistently at Charlotte because this is the home base of NASCAR. So this is probably the most you know m- most of these drivers are used to very used to this track um, from testing or you know just growing up in the Charlotte area or racing here fairly consistently. Um, and so the guys that have shown consistency over the last several races here, I think that translates pretty well to this package, even though there's been, you know, two or three different iterations of the car in the last, you know, <clears throat> eight, 10 races here. So what difference can we expect in terms of weather? So right now, you know, we are expecting this race to be run Sunday night. I believe it starts around 7 PM Eastern time and it's a long race, which we'll also get into shortly. What are what? How is the track or the racing conditions going to be different if they race Sunday night as opposed to if this gets rescheduled Monday afternoon because there is a lot of rain in the forecast this weekend? Yeah. So one thing that comes with the rain is generally speaking cooler temps, right? We've all been there where it's hot and we're wishing for a rainstorm because then it's just going to cool off by you know a, a decent chunk. Well. The highs on Sunday, I believe, are only supposed to barely break 70, and by the time it gets to the evening, it's going to be a lot cooler than that, obviously, because the sun will have gone down. Uh, The front will be moving out, hopefully, at that point. So it could be cool, um, could be still a little humid from the residual rain in the air, which, you know, in in some respects, is better for the field in general uh, to do that Sunday night than to race Monday, probably mid-afternoon i would assume right you gotta figure what about three hours for the xfinity race two and a half hours for the xfinity race given the amount of cautions those guys usually produce um so if if it's mid-afternoon it's going to be warmer it's going to be drier uh track could be a little slicker at that point it will have already been rubbered up from the xfinity race versus sunday night where it'll be a clean racetrack at this point because the trucks have already run but it got all washed off. Um, so, yeah. So, I would say that it's it's certainly better for Fords to run it Sunday night versus Monday. Um, but I think, in general, it's probably a more even playing field Monday evening than Monday. All right. So, if the Daytona 500 is the biggest race of the year for the NASCAR season, the Coca-Cola 600 is the longest race of the year. We are getting 400 laps around a 1.5 mile track, uh, so 600 total miles. Uh, the race is divided into four stages. It's the only race on the schedule that's divided into four stages with every other race divided into three. Um, <clears throat> so really, this is kind of a, a war of attrition. You know, we, we like to think these intermediates are a little more predictable. Uh, the Coke 600 is probably the least predictable just because of its length. Are there any strategies or drivers that you might downgrade a little bit simply because this race is so long? Yeah, so typically speaking, I don't generally like playing rookies in this race. We've talked about this for a few years now simply because it's far longer than any race they've ever run. In the like, To give you an idea, right, the Xfinity race here is one of the longer races on the schedule. It's 200 laps. Like, the cup race is twice as long. So <laughs> that's that's a pretty big like it's racing twice, right? And keep in mind cup cars bigger, heavier, take more to to you know drive them, produce more force, going 
faster, generally speaking. Um, so rookies, I feel like they may be good for the first half of the race or so, but unfortunately you can't cash out your DFS ticket halfway through a race on like, you know, <laughs> some, some prop bets out there halfway through a football Sunday, right? Um, so typically speaking, <clears throat> I tend to avoid playing rookies. They're still getting their feet wet in the Cup Series. It's a very long night. They tend to not, you know, do so well. And I wanted to ask you, what did, what are you doing with Alex Bowman? this week because it's his first race back. I know he's been medically cleared. They're not going to put him in the car. If he's not, I saw a video of him, you know, standing, walking around at a charity thing. That's all well and good. Putting that much force on your back seated in a car for that long without any track time previously, not race for what is it now? Basically a month. Yeah. Right. I'm a little concerned that he's going to fade towards the end of the race. So I'm not playing cash games or double ups this weekend, but I would be okay with him in that format just because he starts so far back. We know the equipment is good uh, with Blake Harris as his crew chief this year. The, the car has been phenomenal. He was the points leader in the series before he got hurt. Right. Um, and I, and I'm, I'm still going to put my faith in the car being good because it's a Hendrick motorsports car. Even when Chase Elliott came back from his injury, um, you know, he did pretty well. You know, he's been top 12 in the six races since uh, in his last well, three races. Go right. Ahead. So I'm not concerned about the performance of the car. Right. So I'm more the, concerned about the fact that it was a broken back and he'll be sitting in the same, you know, even Chase right. Elliott, who's been great at Martinsville, got out at Martinsville, a track we don't think of as a heavy load, exhaustive race, got out and was Bent. Yeah. Granted, he was on the shelf for almost twice as long as Bowman and he had surgery and Bowman didn't, but I'm still just a little concerned that the back's gonna start. No, that's absolutely warranted. And you know, so I'm just saying I'm perfectly fine going to him in cash games. I think that this is probably a good spot to maybe be underweight in tournaments, uh, just because like the PD alone is gonna draw the attention of so many uh, DFS players. Uh, the, the price tag is very manageable at 8,600. I mean, before he got hurt, you know, he was still in roughly the same price range, even though he probably should have been much higher just because Blake Harris and this team had nailed the setup almost every single week. Didn't have a win, but, you know, still had some very good performances. Um, <clears throat> so I would probably take the firm stand of being underweight in tournaments. Um, but, you know, I could definitely see playing in the cash games, but for tournaments, if, if I really want to make – a unique lineup in a race that's that's long and fairly chaotic, despite the fact it's on an intermediate. I'd rather be underweight on him. Yeah, I'm clearly uh, there with you. Now, I will say, talk about unique lineups. I think there's a lot of opportunities to build unique lineups this week because the we didn't get practice in qualifying. We got the metric, which you know isn't using the All Star race, obviously, but it is using Darlington, which was a fairly chaotic race <laughs> so there's a lot of shuffling there um you know for example we got brad kislowski starting third we've got kevin harvick starting second i doubt we would have gotten those guys starting that high uh for the coke 600 if we had actually gotten practice and qualifying um not to say they wouldn't be top 10 contenders i'm just saying not second and 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 third um 
you know, we've got guys like Austin Dillon, who I've been pretty high on in my betting pieces this week, the grill versus grill with Ed Rouse. Uh, he's starting 33rd <laughs> this week, which is uh, a little further back than I thought he was going to. Uh, we've got Ty Gibbs starting in the top 20, which is interesting. Uh, you know, we just talked about Bowman starting pretty far well, back. So who do you like more? Would it be between Austin Dillon and Alex Bowman? Because, you know, Dillon I, starts I would take I would take Austin Dillon. I probably would too. I mean, there's a little more PD, but also his performances at this track have been very good, and he's giving you a significant discount as well. Yeah, I also think that since that Kyle Busch has made a palpable difference <clears throat> in – the consistency at RCR. Like, RCR was good with Tyler Reddick last year at certain tracks, mm-hmm. right? Uh, now Kyle Busch is there, and, you know, these the, these two teammates have run top five in a couple different intermediate tracks throughout the year. Not that they necessarily finished there, but at various points of those races, they had speed, green flag speed, to run in the top five, not just on pit cycles. So, um I would probably look. They're starting about the same spot, so I would take the healthier, arguably more consistent here, Austin Dillon, over uh, Alex Bowman in that case. But there was, there was. Are you playing Chase Briscoe over Austin Dillon? Because there was a debate in NASCAR Twitter earlier this week before anybody knew uh, starting spots. <clears throat> what like Chase Briscoe is now starting twentieth, and Austin Dillon starting thirty third. So. It's a little more interesting based on DFS pricing and what they necessarily would have to do yeah. to hit value. I have very little interest in Chase Briscoe. Um, if he was starting outside the top 25, I could probably get talked into a few shares. But he's starting P20, and right. we saw him <laughs> pretty much doing laps around the back at uh, – you know, Dover not too long ago. Um, I forget what track was after Dover. Oh, Kansas. Uh, he was awful at Kansas. Um, yep. And they ran the intermediate package at those two tracks. He did manage to finish 17th uh, at Darlington, but, you know, he was a better play in that race where he started P31. I, I can't really bring myself to get excited about many of the Fords, um, especially a guy like Chase Briscoe, who, who just seems to be missing the setup on a consistent basis when it comes to these intermediate tracks now if it's a shorter flat track or a super speedway i can get talked into it just because he's performed better on the shorter flat tracks and super speedways just breed chaos and if he survives it then he he can make an optimal lineup you can say that about anybody but for this package and this type of track i'm not excited about chase briscoe when he's starting 20th yeah i i would i would agree on that one i think that's a little i'd rather play daniel suarez who's 200 more but he starts p24 and has arguably shown more, way more consistency in this car. Than, yeah. And um, his teammate was one of the dominators at this race a year ago. He was. He was. There's been a lot of talk about him this week, too, and whether or not um, he can finish a race or somebody's going to pay him back. Here's the thing with Ross Chastain is that I feel like the discussion of, you know, who's going to wreck Ross or, you know, someone's got to retaliate against Ross, it, it – We've been talking about this for almost for over a year now yep. of Ross Chastain getting what's coming to him, and it's just never happened. I don't think it ever will. I don't think that there's a driver in NASCAR that will step up and and intentionally wreck him or try to screw him out of a race. Um, not saying it'll never happen, but I we were waiting for this to happen in the playoffs last year. We were waiting it to happen 
later in the year. We saw Denny Hamlin admit to doing it earlier this year. And, you know, uh, he punched Gregson in the face on pit road uh, a month or so ago. And, but, but again, like no one is screwing Ross Chastain except Ross Chastain. Like how we saw it at Darlington uh, when he and Kyle Larson wrecked for the lead because Chastain was once again too aggressive. You know, I love playing Ross Chastain in DFS because there's always this dark cloud looming over him that he, he, he could get wrecked, but we just don't ever see it. I agree. I agree. Like the, I also don't think people are going to pay him back in the middle of the season when it doesn't necessarily matter. Yeah. Right. Like if the payback happens, mm-hmm. it's happening in the last round of the playoffs. Right. Like Martinsville's become the de facto payback track. Yeah. It's the penultimate race of the season and, um, and whatnot. But I look, even Denny Hamlin, who wanted to, you know, who said he wrecked Chastain on purpose, um, has been buddy buddy with him in post race stuff. Like after the Chastain Gregson, you know, scuffle, Hamlin was there on Chastain's side. So like, yeah. <laughs> like I don't like I don't want to say it's manufactured at this point, but I think it's become the <clears throat> talking point that you know as we are currently talking about. Um, that people know are, are is going to bring eyeballs to the race. Oh, what's Ross going to? I mean, for the love of God, Fox even on one of their commercial breaks in the last race put up the "Thank you, Ross" meme as they went to commercial, uh, <laughs> following a caution. It wasn't even his fault. So, like, yeah. um, but if we're talking strategy here, I want I do want to point out that five of the last ten winners here have started on the pole. Well, sorry, yeah. four of the last ten have started on the pole. Five of the last ten have started inside the top ten, with the fifth being starting ninth. And the rest of them have started 14th or worse. So you can win here starting outside the top ten. But in and general... But we, in, in, in that argument, it's not so much like, yeah, the race is long enough where you can move up. It's just the race is long enough where it's just like the, the best drivers will, will rise you know, to the top. Right. No. I mean, think about think about Larson's 600 last year. It was terrible for the first half. The first 200 laps were the worst <laughs> I've ever seen out of one, like, in terms of penalty. I think he got three pit road penalties. Yeah. Didn't his car literally catch fire? Yes. He had to <laughs> drive through the field, like, two or three times. And, like, yeah. at the halfway point, he, like, the radio communication between him and his crew chief was just outstanding. Like they admitted, like, look, the first half of the race sucked. It was awful. Everybody was bad. But then they rebounded, and they still think they finished like top twelve or top ten. It was, it was, it was just a good performance from a great driver that just turned it around halfway through the race. Yeah, he he finished ninth and wound up leading <clears throat> fifty one laps. It's just a good driver, which I think was actually it was the third most behind Chastain's hundred and fifty three, Chase Elliott's eighty six. And then Larson's fifty-one, which is insane. Like <laughs> it was, it was nuts. Um, so that speaks to the chaos that can ensue, the amount of time that somebody can rebound. So please, if you're in our Discord and somebody gets penalized in the first two stages, don't freak out. It's such a long race. Yeah. That you could fall asleep, miss the middle two stages, and it'd be a completely inverted running order, and you'd have no idea how. 
I mean, Nick Sanchez in last night's truck series race, I think he lost a lap because he had to pit under green flag conditions for a second time. I think in like the second or early third stage, uh, came back all the way and still grabbed the top 10. So it's like, that is my one pet peeve about casual NASCAR DFS players is that, you know, if, if, if their lineups are bad, like halfway through stage one or two, they just assume the worst. You know, I went to bed last night and I wasn't making any money on the truck race. I was losing about 10 bucks because I only play the happy hour. But I woke up and I still like I turned a profit. And granted, it was only four bucks. But like, that's just how it turns in NASCAR. Like you can go from being great to finishing the race in awful conditions or you can go from having a terrible night to a great night. That's just the state of NASCAR. Yep. Um, <laughs> now, obviously, it's different if your guys wreck out. <laughs> yep <laughs> you can't recover from there that's unfixable much like Sergio <clears throat> Perez putting his car in the wall in turn one in Monaco qualifying Saturday morning um but in terms of dominators how are how are you building yours for we just went over laps led in last year's right. race and I think that's a, top 50 that's a good segue into this uh portion of the podcast because I think you have to you almost have to draw a narrative in your head about how this race will go. A lot of people are going to play William Byron just because he's on the pole. Um, and we've seen Byron this year lead a ton of laps. Uh, I mean, he led 193 at Dover, uh, collected fastest. Uh, he's collected double digit fastest laps in each of the last four races. He led 117 laps at Richmond. Uh, 176 at Phoenix. Now these are all different tracks from the intermediate package that we'll see on Sunday, but he still had just pure speed in the car. And so he's going to be an easy one to contend with. So you could, you know, easily plug in a William Byron and think, okay, I want him to get at least 50 laps led in stage one. And then you can plug in a guy like a Kyle Larson or a Ross Chastain to maybe get those dominator points in the middle of the race. Um, <clears throat> I think it's interesting that we were talking about last year's race <clears throat> and how Chastain had, well over 100 dominant or laps led. Larson had over 50. Chase Elliott had 80. This is one of those races where there are enough laps led that you almost – there's not going to be a solo dominator. In this car right. at Intermediates, we just haven't seen a solo dominator. like We, we saw that car. once when Truex went out and led 392 or 400 laps. But that's never happening again. That was yeah, literally the most miles – led ever in the history of any auto sport that's not a 24-hour race, right? Mm -hmm. Not happening. So I'm with you that it's going to take multiple dominators. And by the way, just so we're um, on the same page here, Ross Chastain, you remember where he started last year's race? Uh, wasn't it like P22? Yeah, something like he that? started 22nd. He led 153 laps, had 60 – or sorry, he led – yeah, um, 150 something laps had 66 fastest laps and finished seventh. Right, the winner last year, Denny Hamlin, gets credited with winning from the pole. Mind you, he led 15 laps. That's insane. So, like, he started on the pole mid race, he was fifth, he finished first. He went all the way back to 25th at one point, probably during a pit cycle, right? His average running position last year was seventh. He had two fastest laps, uh, 15 laps led, and won the race. And by the way, there were 13 overtime laps last year. They ran 413 <laughs> laps. So a decent chunk of those happened in overtime yeah. as well. So, um, and, and not to dissuade you from playing Chase Briscoe, he did start 15th last year and finished fourth in this race. 
good for Chase Briscoe. My one concern. <laughs> not one not concern. saying that I'm playing Chase Briscoe. I'm just saying people will toss that out that he he did run well here last year. The one thing I worry about with Byron is that his car does tend to start the race very strong early on, but then it fades fight. a little bit later in the race. We saw it at Dover. Um, so do keep that in mind. You know, he's not going to go out and he probably won't just go out and dominate the whole race by himself and, and, and probably score well either way. But he is a candidate to lead the early dominator laps as well. Ross Chastain is, is going to be up there as well, as will Kyle Larson. Larson's just been so fast in almost every metric, no matter the track that we go to. Yep. It's just, you know, you you have to you just hope that like nothing bad happens to him. He's just run into some pretty bad luck with some of the races. The well, okay, time. but at the same time, like last year, literally everything bad that could have happened happened and For, he still led fifty yeah. something laps. Yeah. So and he did not have the speed as consistently last year as he does this year. So um we'll see. I apologize for any background noise you may hear. My kids are home and have decided to make a raucous. It's fine. Um, I have fire trucks driving by my apartment right now. Um, so, you know, I, I think we certainly need two dominators. I would not shy away from putting in three guys that could lead 50 something laps. Cause keep in mind that we will almost assuredly have a comp caution mm-hmm. in the first stage as well, because they did not get practice or qualifying. That's regardless of if the race happens Sunday night or Monday, almost assured we'll have a comp caution. somewhere. I think that benefits a guy like Denny Hamlin greatly. I would, I would agree. The guys because... that... <clears throat> Go ahead. Oh, go ahead. Uh, well, my concern is, especially if this race somehow gets moved to Monday and they're not running in the conditions uh, like a cooler night race. Um, either way, I think that the Hendrick Chevys and the JGR Toyotas and pretty much all the Toyotas are going to show up with speed. Um, I really don't see a problem with Denny Hamlin getting around uh, Kevin Harvick and Brad Keselowski, who are starting P2 and P3 respectively. Correct. And if there is a comp caution and this race does reset after 20 30 maybe 40 laps i'd be surprised if it was that long uh the comp caution that is then i expect denny hamlin to probably restart on the front row with byron and potentially get around him and win the state the first stage and in which case you know you probably can start some lines with you know hamlin larson or hamlin chastain and then hopefully you can find like an 8k driver that can go out and lead some laps tyler reddick is probably the most uh, likely of that group because just he's another Toyota, but that's just my own personal thoughts on, you know, building a narrative in your head about how a race can go and, and choosing your dominators that way. Yeah. I would also say the comp caution probably helps a guy like Kyle Bush too. Yep. Who's starting fifth. Um, comp cautions are really good for guys who are really good at telling their crew what they need in a car. If they can go out and get a 30 or 40 lap run, on a track and then go back and say, you know, have you ever listened to Kyle Bush's radio? It's amazing how well he dissects what his car is doing on the track. He will give it quarter, but like segmented breakdowns, like turn one, it's this turn two, it's this backstretch is this turn three, turn four. And on a road course, it's, it's even more insane. So if you give a guy like Joey Logano or Denny Hamlin or Kyle Bush, the chance to go out there in race conditions and say, my car is doing this for 30 laps, which is a pretty decently long run in a race at this point. Let's go adjust it. And by the way, we can basically hold our spot because everybody's going to pit at that point. Mm-hmm. It benefits it benefits those guys 
for sure. And obviously, if you have trouble in the first 30 laps, that helps you too. Because, you know, if you get a lap down early, that comp caution is your savior right off the bat. Uh, so we have a few minutes left previewing the Coca-Cola 600. Real quick, I kind of just did want to pick your brain. Um, <clears throat> not necessarily you know, do I want your your best or your sneakiest GPP or tournament plays, just because you know we will have the NASCAR DFS playbook available Saturday evening for this race. But you know, who are some value plays that we can look at? Just because the way this field shook out with the lineup being set by you know the the metric. Um, we're getting some very interesting plays. We already touched on Alex Bowman starting pretty far back. Daniel Suarez is outside the top 20. We briefly touched on him and how track house should have speed. Are there any other value plays way at the bottom, maybe 6,500 and below that, you know, we can feel pretty good about locking into a cash lineup or just maybe a very good play that you're comfortable giving away right on a podcast for free. So I think it'll be interesting to look at Todd Gilliland. You and I were talking briefly about him before the pod. Normally he's in the 38, right? Which we, we've grown to like him quite a lot. This week he's in the 51. I think people will see that and kind of back off because of the Rick Ware equipment. He, he's starting far enough back for me that I'm not sure it really matters, and I think people are going to avoid him because of the 51, um, you know, being in the 51 car. Um you know, he, he's run pretty well just about. I mean, you know, Darlington, he ran pretty well just outside the top 10. Kansas, he had a pretty solid rate. I mean, not great, but he almost paid back 5X, right? Um, now, granted, those were all in, you know, the, the 38 car. But that's a guy I'm, I'm pretty comfortable with. Are you still okay playing him in the Rick Ware car, even though this is a 400-lap race? Because I have concerns that it just doesn't hold up. Now, they do have that affiliation with Stuart Haas Racing, and you would think that, you know, Ryan Newman has run, decided to come back and run a few races in, in the Rick Ware car. Uh, because they're, but there's always that stigma that this car sucks. And if this was... A 250 to 300 lap race, I could probably talk myself into it. I'm not as confident with this race being 400 laps. I, I think I think it's all right because the main the main thing with me is that they're basically all stock parts now. Okay, right? All of the main like it's how you tweak it, obviously, but the engines are all supplied by basically the same people. The main parts of the car are all stock. That's why you can't mess with them or you get hammered by NASCAR with huge things. So if this was a previous iteration of a car, yeah, I'd be concerned. I'm less concerned now uh, with it. I know a lot of people are going to be uh, wanting to play Jimmy Johnson um, just as, you know, he's Jimmy Johnson and he's been really good here. I'm not a hundred percent sold on legacy motor club being any good, no matter who the hell is in that car. Um, so, uh, I don't know. Uh, people are going to play him. I'm not as high on him this week as, uh, I normally am. All right. Well, Matt, thank you so much for your time. Uh, let's hope that we can enjoy the Coca-Cola 600 Sunday night with very few weather concerns. I am not going to get, my hopes up too much, but there's still a chance. But as always, thank you for your time and best of luck to you and the FA Nation. Best of luck, FA Nation.
Looking for a fun way to win up to 25 times your money this football season? Test your skills on Prize Picks, the most exciting way to play daily fantasy sports. Just select two or more players, pick more or less on their projection for a wide variety of statistics, and place your entry. It's as easy as that. If you have the skills, you can turn $10 into $250 with just a few taps. Easy gameplay, quick withdrawals, and an enormous selection of players and stat options are what make Prize Picks the number one daily fantasy sports app. Ready to test your skills? Join the Prize Picks community of more than 7 million football fans who have already signed up. Right now, Prize Picks will match your first deposit up to $100. Just visit prizepicks.com/get100 and use code GET100. That's code GET100 at prizepicks.com slash get100 for a first deposit matchup to $100. Prize Picks, daily fantasy sports made easy.